Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Let me pray before we begin. Dear God, thank you for your goodness and your grace this morning. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for this tradition, for this long line of witnesses to your faithfulness. God, this morning I'm going to attempt to articulate something that should pull us all together in the way that you desire us to be together. But sometimes my words feel frail and empty. They have no power within themselves, but only insofar as you take them up and invest them with your spirit. So I pray you would do so this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a meme that I've seen on Twitter that feels relevant this morning. If, uh, if you want to throw that up real quick. It's this headline and photo that you see posted under other folks' tweets or tweeted as the retweet. So it says, heartbreak. The worst person you know just made a great point with some random guy who's supposed to be the worst person somebody knows. And so people will repost this when someone they otherwise dislike or normally disagree with actually makes a good point. So like this last week, I think Matt Gates like said something about blaming the, the government shutdown on his own party. And so the White House like reposted his tweet with this, you know, next to it. <laughs> And I don't like that. Like, I don't, I don't like when corporations and institutions try to have funny, quirky, ironic, you know, internet personalities, right? That doesn't, that doesn't feel right. But I was thinking about this this week because I was reading Paul. Paul the Apostle, who can be so cruel and condescending and give his voice and power to some of the worst patterns in our world, seeming to sometimes entirely miss the point of the gospel. But then at other times, he articulates something so captivating, so beautiful, so hopeful in this vision of what community could look like. When he's right, it's beautiful. We didn't, we didn't read it this morning, but just listen to, to this opening paragraph. Not, not as churchy language, which we have heard maybe some of us so often throughout our lives, but hear this as the emotions of a man who has been pursued as fugitive, tortured by the state, incarcerated and ultimately killed. And yet this is how he speaks to his church family at Philippi. He says, I thank my God for every remembrance of you. Always in every one of my prayers for all of you praying 
with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident in this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And it's right for me to think this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For all of you are my partners in God's grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the tender affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what really matters, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, beloved, and he continues this love letter to a community. These passions are drawn from Paul, not by a theoretical commitment to an immaterial set of beliefs, but because those beliefs and those commitments have been lived out amongst a people devoted to this cosmic midwifery, to this birth of a new world inside the rotting skeleton of the old. Paul knows pain, and so do the Philippians. They know the terrors of the world, and yet they have found something in one another. They have discovered a way of being that generates glory. Life shrouded in holy mystery, the world shot through with a mystical love that brings peace and purpose where only pain and alienation would otherwise exist. Reading this text this week was so powerful for me because I knew that I could write the same letter to you. In some sense, every word I write or speak to you is an attempt to love you like that and to remind you of the love of Christ that we share with one another like Paul does. Plagued as he is, plagued as I am with deficiencies. Because regardless of the ways that we fail, there is grace among us. There's a space for our fraying edges and the disorder of our lives. And we're held together not by a specious purity of polity or practice, but by the commonness of our care for one another. There's a center to this place. There's a beating heart. There is a ground of our unity. There is a oneness of mind. And it's this oneness of mind that Paul calls us to return to over and over. When turbulence troubles the waters, let's listen again to this lectionary text. It's one of the most beautiful in all of scripture and all of world literature. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name, of, that the name given to Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work on your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring or arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world holding forth the word of life so that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice, and I rejoice together with all of you in the same way also. You should rejoice and rejoice together with me. Paul says, if I am poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. And he speaks of his death. He's saying, if I'm to die, if my life is to be poured out for you on account of this work, because of the threat we are to the powers and principalities of the air, I will rejoice in my death. It will have been worth it. Paul doesn't ask his church family to die. But he does ask something of them, though. And he asks it over and over. He says, if then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says twice in a single verse to be of the same mind. He asks it multiple times throughout the epistle and uses the same language in other letters to other churches. And their commentary on, on Philippians, scholars Nijay Gupta and Michael Byrd write, Twice in this verse, Paul focuses on unity of mind. The verb phreneo refers to a con comprehensive way the mind sees reality and shapes the life and will toward this vision. This verb and related cognates are found throughout Philippians. Verse 1, 7, 2, 2 through 3 and 5, 3, 15 and 19, 4, 2 and 7. Obviously, Paul makes much of how one sees the world, one's outlook or perspective. Paul was concerned that the Philippians were not properly understanding the purpose and value of his and their suffering and ultimately what it meant to glory in Christ and not seek glory according to worldly standards. Thus, he calls them repeatedly in this letter to come together in outlook and life, to remember their heavenly calling and citizenship 
so to represent that identity in their worldly lives. Notice that by this unity of mind, Paul isn't trying to get his church family to to think exactly the same thoughts, to agree on every detail of polity or theology. Paul is trying to get them to contextualize their pain and reorient them around their purpose. He loves them dearly, and he's writing not to correct them with punitive discipline, but by appealing to their hearts, asking them to recollect the power of Christ's example. This is how he grounds them in their purpose and mission, unifying their minds, not with lists of shared theological minutia, but with a knowing regard for one another, a common knowledge of this call to love and liberation. So, beloved ones, remember our unity this morning. We are full of dynamic difference. We are deep with years, and we are fresh with new energy. We see safety in a measured institutional moderation, and we see hope in daring innovation. We were born in Brooklyn, and we arrived from another world. We're all of these things, and all of these things are our strengths because we approach our differences with a unity of mind. Unity is not sameness. A choir is a living, breathing unity that finds its power in a dialectic between difference and coherence. As different as our voices may be, we share the same song. As disparate as our thinking may be at times, we share the same heart. And so I want you to capture this image of Christ emptying himself and taking on the form of a slave on account of his love for his people. One way of translating that verse is to say, Christ didn't think of equality with God as something to hold on to, but he abandoned this equality emptying himself of his power and took on flesh and human weakness. When Paul asks us to find the mind of Christ, to conform our thinking and living with this oneness of mind, it's this humility that he references. It's this practice of emptying ourselves for one another, of relinquishing our claims on authority and hierarchy and any imagined superiority to become the servant of one another. Now, the Greek word is actually slave. Christ, in Paul's thinking, Christ became our slave, and we're supposed to be slaves to one another, and I don't have time to work through all the problematics of that language. But I do think that Paul is planting the seeds of slavery's undoing here. Because what is slavery if we are all slaves to one another? If no one is superior to another, then slavery actually loses its meaning. It's like the intentional irony of the Marxist dictatorship of the proletariat. Because what is a dictatorship constituted by the masses? Democracy. The dictatorship of the working class makes actual dictatorship impossible. And so here, Paul makes that kind of social, economic, and communal hierarchy impossible because we are all meant to serve one another. 
Now, I don't think that we should be playing with this language of slavery to make rhetorical points. It muddies some conversations that necessitate perfect clarity. But let something of that weight sit with you. Consider what Paul is trying to convey, apart from the specificity of the term. He's calling us to a sacrificial love for one another that is based on humility and mutuality, and that is the key. His metaphor only works if we are all in on it, if we are all committed through this unity of mind to this network of mutual care, to this refusal to consider ourselves better than another and to instead serve the needs of our siblings in Christ. This is the shape that love takes, he says. This love This oneness of mind is the common ground that we share. Whatever our differences, whatever our disagreements, they are not worked out from above or below, but on a common ground. The singularity of purpose that binds us together. And this isn't naivete. It's not a failure to understand that power dynamics do, in fact, structure our differences and disagreements. Race matters here. Gender matters. Sexuality, class position, ability, etc. are all worldly conditions that modulate the way we navigate the complexity of communal life. But our every striving, every energy, every intention ought to be to empty ourselves of the power we might hold over another and to become their servant gathered into this unity of mind, into this body of Christ. This common ground, this oneness of mind, pulls us together through conflict, not in spite of it, not in spite of conflict, but because of it, as iron sharpens iron. We serve one another with our differences, complementing individual weakness with communal strength. The mind we are called to share is Christ's. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ, Paul says. And we only know that mind through its acts, its manifestation of partner service, of humility and sacrifice, through the shedding of power and the gift of love. And I want to glory this morning in the ways that we live into this call. There's farther to go, but I'm not preaching this sermon because I think I've encountered a truth that we have not yet grasped. No, there's, there's nothing particularly revelatory this morning. I'm only reminding us of who we already are. I'm only asking you to go deeper into this mystical mind, to press forward into the mystery of this call, to offer yourselves again with new intensity in service to this work and to reestablish ourselves on this common ground of our unity, which is the love of God. Let's make these historied commitments fresh, like new rain on healthy soil. The color deepens, rich with potential and ready to grow. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. 
The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.